Welcome to Soul Conversations, a podcast where three Korean adoptees talk about everything from pop culture to navigating our Korean adoptee identities. I'm Shanae. And I'm Betty. And I'm Kara. And this is season three. Season three, we're live, huh? How do you feel, Shanae? Rusty. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I actually... Our final recording that we had for season two, I put the microphone away and there's a place in my room that just put it away out of the side and I brought it back out and it was all dusty and I'm like, oh man, this is just like a a foreshadowing of how the recording could go. But I'm ready. I I feel like that's going to be back in the seat. Yeah, it does feel good. I can't believe you put it away. (laughs) I know, I know. It's just like, maybe maybe it's more like a, a symbolism of just like rest and recovery and Time to reflect, I guess. That's true. That's true. That's a bad point. <laughs> yeah. I know. Well, we're back with season three. We've been doing a lot of thinking, a lot of planning. We have some fun surprises coming up this season. We're going to change up the format a little bit. All good things for the new year, right? Yes. And one of the big things we can maybe introduce right now is that we have a new uh, addition to the Cell Conversations podcast. And if our listeners listened to season one, you would have heard Kara in our finale. She was great. And she is now a full-time member of the crew. Welcome, Kara. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I've been like quietly waiting behind the curtain to show my face. <laughs> I'm um, so excited to be here. Um, you guys feel rusty. I just feel plain terrified. So uh, excited to be here with you guys. Before we uh, were actually recording, I took a, a shot of tequila because it was sitting here because I, I feel like I was like a little bit rusty too. I don't know. Shanae, are you drinking anything right now? I am. I'm, I'm drinking some scotch. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I missed the invite. <laughs> I, I missed the, the note and the invite to the drinking party. So next time I will be a part of that for sure. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. don't need, if you ask me like what scotch it was, I couldn't tell you. It's something that my husband had. It's been a week. Claire's teething. Yeah. I'm not sleeping. So I was like, if yeah. I'm going to do this, I need some liquid courage. <laughs> yes. Yep. That was my, ex- I don't have um, a newborn. But I definitely feel I'm running on three hours of sleep. Definitely needed some liquid courage. Um, it's funny that we all brought up, uh, what was it, Asian flush? Yes. I thought I was the only one, but apparently it's more wide amongst us. Yeah, it's a, for me, it's like the mixture of the Asian flush and just like the coming of age. Where I also had that moment where I was like, I had a drink too late in the night. And I was like, oh my God, I'm like indigestion in my sleep. Like I'm, uh-huh. I feel like I'm an old lady that I can't drink past a certain time. But my downfall is the hydration. Like I just, I uh-huh. get into like drinking and my like former sorority girl starts coming out. I'm like pound vodka sodas back to back. I can never <laughs> drink a glass of water. Um, so <laughs> that never works in my favor. I've got to learn to be like a better adult drinker and like actually have a glass of water in between my drinks. Yeah. What sorority yeah. were you in? Sigma Kappa, back at the University of Louisville. 
Um, it's funny when I tell anyone, I'm such a shapeshifter. Whenever anyone that knows me like present day, I tell them I was in a sorority. They're like, what? I'm like, oh yeah, I was all up in that. Yes. We won't do all the major introductions with Kira, but if you want to learn more about her, we highly suggest going back to season one and checking out her episode. It was great. And it was a big reason why we wanted to have you on the podcast because you are a great addition and have lovely insight. And also you got our button to shape and helped us do some strategic planning. We're going to switch up the format. We have some guests that are going to be contributors. They're going to be less of an interview style, but talking everything from K-culture to our whiteness to adoption in the media and everything in between. And I really am excited to care for all the stuff that you got us to plan and get ready for season three. We're happy to be a part of the process. And I think that's, you know, maybe we can take a quick moment of reflection because, you know, I'm jumping in season three and, you know, your listeners have had a little break from you guys. So how are you guys feeling on like, what did you learn from the past seasons and what do you hope to get out of uh, this upcoming one? I think the past seasons definitely taught me how important community is. I think we both really have found a sense of community, both individually, as a podcast. And it's just been really great to hear our guests. I feel like we've tried to get people that have a variety of experiences and listening to them and learning their stories definitely, I know, have made me reflect a little more on my own experiences. And I think this season I'm excited to shift a little bit away from adoptee stories but still stay in the same vein of amplifying adoptee voices. You know, we all know that the guests are adoptees. Most guests are CADs. But we're going to be having sort of roundtable discussions about these topics. And our answers automatically are filtered through the lens of being a CAD, right? So we don't need to go out and say, kind of to your point in your earlier episode, Kara, do I always have to lead with my adoptee foot? Because I think the answer is... By default, we kind of do, but we don't need to exclusively disclose that. Yeah. Sinead, I can't remember when's the last time we pushed you court for the last time in season two, but that feels like forever ago. I can't believe that we're ready on season three. And honestly, as we were wrapping up season two, I know I was definitely at one of the toughest places in my life that I've ever experienced. I just felt like there were so many things where it felt like on all fronts of my life, whether it's personal life, my work life, my social life, romantic life, I felt like everything was falling apart. And really this, this summer and into the fall, I've had the opportunity to step away from my Koreanness and step away from my Korean heritage. And I think that's what I'm most excited to talk about in season three. Sometimes I think that's that's okay. Everyone right. is kind of at a different pace and a different journey. And I think for me, it's okay to not read up on my Korean heritage or be active on social media 24-7 to take a right. break from that part of my life, even though it is my life. And it's been really interesting to let go of that guilt of just being like, 24-7 online and trying to read up on everything and being in tune and everything and kind of live my life. And it's been refreshing to step away from that, but I'm also excited to continue this journey. I feel like the excitement of just turning on the microphone, even though we had like 20 minutes of troubleshooting with the with the technology <laughs> to uh, <laughs> uh, get back into it. And I think to just being more open 
I've learned that I've been very gated. I feel like in my in my personal life with everyone, even the people that I'm close with, because it's touchy topics and sensitive topics, and sometimes it's hard to be vulnerable. And I'm trying to be more active and um, cognizant of trying to be more open. And it's been good. It's been a good summer, and I'm I'm, I'm really feel refreshed to be back. Yeah, I love that, Benny. And I think it's such a powerful reminder and like affirmation to all of us that we can change our opinions and our views at any point. I think that's something I've always struggled, especially in my adoptee journey of like, I'm supposed to be angry or I'm supposed to be mad. And like, you hang on to that identity or you hang on to that and you don't allow yourself to have any flexibility either. And like, you telling that story just is such, I think, a beautiful testament of like, we can be and feel however we want or participate or not participate, whatever you want to do. It's like, it's up to us. And I think, at least for me, I've struggled sometimes um, reminding myself of that power. And a lot of times it felt like it was in control. Mm-hmm. So I think that's, it's super encouraging to hear that. I feel like we're so formal right now. When we were doing like the planning, <laughs> planning sessions, like we were riffing and doing all these things, I feel like there's all this. I'm going to do another shot real quick, guys. Hold on. <laughs> I'm about to go down and bust open my cabinet then. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, while Benny's taking a shot, um, we're currently recording. It's November right now, but by the time all of you are listening to this, it'll be right after the new year. So while we're talking about growth, and change and new things. What are some of your New Year's resolutions? Or if you don't believe in resolutions, what are some things that you are hoping for the new year? Okay, number one is stop going on DoorDash and ordering (laughs) a taco that's $4 and end up being $50 for delivery and charges. I need to save up for a house. That's my yeah. goal for 2022 Ooh, is to feel that. save up no money to put a down payment. I just need to stop ordering DoorDash and <laughs> Do going to, to the ours? gym. <laughs> <laughs> we have to sell ours so we can buy one in California. <laughs> I'll put it in an offer, but you won't like it, Sinead. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, in all honesty, that is a main goal. I think for me, it's trying to get back to controlling my life. I feel like I was a little bit out of control in 2021 just felt like there were so many plates in the air we talked about that in season one too and developing a plan just to get back on the horse and i also think too working on my relationships working on myself i think is a big thing and i don't know what that looks like yet but like you said it's november right now i feel like i have a month left to figure that out <laughs> what that looks <laughs> like but i de- tick tock betty <laughs> oh no oh no um <laughs> I do feel like I, I continue want I do want to continue to grow with my um, Korean heritage and discovery. I have yet to do bubble tea. I have yet to do the Korean restaurants in my neighborhood. No, stop shaking oh your heads God. at me. No, 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 no. It's, I, no. Also, <laughs> daylight savings. Time, bubble tea shamed. I I know, but also too, it's like daylight savings time. It gets dark like at four thirty now. I feel like going to bed at like five o'clock every night now. It's just. Yeah. feels like a lot. But um, yeah, I have some serious goals of continuing to grow and feel confident and feel great about myself and my career trajectory too. I think my goal is just to continue to have a healthy lifestyle for sure. 
Yeah, I think I gave up on the word resolution a couple years ago, but I still have like themes or like goals. So I say that and I'm like, it's basically the same shit. But um, <laughs> the thing that I've been just repeating so much, and I kind of shared this on my my first episode, but you know, I had just recently made a huge change. I got a new job. I moved to a new city. I'm, you know, cohabitating with my partner for the first time. I definitely went through kind of like a whole new change. So the thing that is like always top of mind is like prioritizing my peace. Um, that's mm. been kind of my theme and definitely my resolution going into next year. Like Benny, I definitely resonate with what you're saying too, of like, basically just like everybody else, 2020 and on, I just took probably the, the darkest slip into um, a depressive state that I haven't seen in a long time. And I feel like I've been licking my wounds this past year. And I'm hoping that this upcoming year, it's me kind of rising from that a little bit. And a big part of that is just making sure that I'm really understanding, you know, what brings me peace, whether it be activities or environments or relationships, and just making sure that I'm putting the utmost effort and attention and in those areas. Cause I do this really weird thing where like, I would give all my attention to like things that weren't even like making me happy or relationships that I even liked. And I don't know, you know, where that comes from. It'll probably, we'll probably touch on that a thousand times once we get into like the therapy episode. Um, but <laughs> I did, I kind of had that wake up of like, what the hell am I doing? Like I'm, I'm spending all my energy on things that make me miserable. And then I have no room or space or time for the things that make me happy. So I've been kind of academic about it, like kind of lame, like just literally writing out, like, what are the things that make me happy? Who are the people that make me happy? And like kind of doing it that way. But I think it's like a way for me to visualize and see it as an objective thought versus like just something in my head to say like, no, like these are the people that matter. And like, this is the thing that matters. And every time you get in this temptation to start giving your energy to something else, like stop that's probably my second theme on top of, you know, prioritizing my peace is like making new decisions and like breaking patterns. Yeah. So I think, you know, I had a really good chance to look at some of my, my own self-deprecating patterns and, and behaviors. And it's time for me to start acting like an adult and saying, if I want those <laughs> things to change, I have to actually make different decisions. And that's not always fun for me to do. It's like, you know, my trauma and my misery is my friend. I love it. I want to hang on to it, but like, I've got to get over that. Like that's a friend I've got to, I've got to learn that I've got other friends too. You know, I'm not discrediting my trauma and my, you know, my, my demons, if you will, but they need to not be like the lead horse anymore. So I think mm. that's what I hope for myself coming out of next year is that the joy comes forefront and some of the other things find a different place where they belong, where they're maybe not so loud. I like all of that a lot. <laughs> I might have to borrow your notes too. Do it. And I probably <laughs> should like also chill in the DoorDash too, but you know, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Shanae, what about you? Uh, I think I kind of gave up on the resolutions too. I think <laughs> the new year, the word that I keep coming back to is boundaries. Mm. Um, I definitely yeah. am known for not having any <laughs> in the sense of <laughs> right. like, I'll just give and give and give or do and do and do. And then, you know, run myself into the ground. You know, I've been thinking a lot about my identity at first. It was, you know, as a teacher and then it was like as a CAD 
and now it's like as a mom and I'm ready to move to the phase of having an identity outside of motherhood again. So thinking about Mm. what do I like to do? What brings me joy? How can I get back to doing some of those things and balance it with motherhood? And a lot of that also comes with like learning how to ask for help and not operating as this one woman show (laughs) Um, by my own doing. Like there are people that want to help. I just am such a tightly wound control freak (laughs) that I need to learn to let go a little bit, ask and accept for some help and then uphold some boundaries. And sometimes it's hard. I think there are boundaries with people who are used to not being told that I have a boundary. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So it'll be interesting. But I mean, that is the challenge of boundaries, right? Yes. (laughs) Yes. Other people don't know. Right. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I think that's what I'll be working on. I like that too a lot. I feel like I can have good takeaways from both of your resolutions, if you will. Um, Boundaries also speaks volumes to me as well. And also not being afraid to ask for help. That's also a big one too for me is letting myself be vulnerable, but also to let it be okay to say I'm not okay or need assistance. I look forward to see how season three goes and, you know, if we can stick with our, you know, goals and ambitions and use ourselves as a a mini community of three, but also looking forward to continually growing the community with our listeners as well. So with that being said, we did want to kick off season three with just some fun stuff. Also some relevant stuff as well. The recent wave of the K-culture. So we all know that there's a lot of things on TV and movies that have come out recently. And just want to hear everyone's thoughts on the Korean wave. Oh, I guess this will be my moment to jump in. Um, I don't know. Even like prepping for the conversation today. I'm like, man, what am I going to say? How do I feel about it? And I actually did kind of equate it to a similar journey of like coming out of the fog. So like for me at like the beginning, so let's call it like pre-BTS explosion. Like at that point, it was like Korean food was kind of popular. The, the skincare was, you know, popular and like BTS, like I'm also I'm all like a diehard BTS fan, army for life. But, and that gets complicated too. They'll, they'll, you'll hear how that gets weaved into the story. But I think at that point I was like happy, you know, I felt very proud. I felt excited. I was like, oh my God, like, it's so exciting. And it's so cool to see myself and to see my culture and to see Hangul like out there and see people taking interest and like, finally people not like lumping me in with Chinese people. Like it was just like, Mm -hmm. There was this moment where it felt really great. And I even like drew like a little line in my um, like journal and I was like, oh, but then this like weird crash started happening for me mm-hmm. where I like started to resent it and like even kind of hate it because now it's getting to the point where it's like reaching a point of adoption where the generalizations are starting to come in a little bit. And now it's like sparking all these weird like, things in my little adoptee brain of like, I don't like this. And I don't like that people now have like a portrait in their head of what a Korean person is supposed to act like and be like, because now I feel like I'm getting, you know, there's expectations of me to act that way as it's portrayed in the media and as it's portrayed in like pop culture now. And then 
I'm probably just now coming out of like the bottom of, of that bell curve with like the Sesame street thing. Like I saw that and I was yeah. like, Oh, that makes me happy. Uh, so yeah. I felt, I was like, Oh, Sesame street, like brought me back up from kind of resenting it. Um, and I'll definitely dive more into my resentment later, but that's my long short answer is I've been on a journey with it and I'm just now coming out of not hating it. <laughs> what about you guys? I feel like of the three of us, Kara, just from what I've observed on like your social media, and Benny, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like you are light years ahead into the depths of K-culture. Like you're posting things with like K-pop and K, you know, K-people and I don't know if they're models, <laughs> actors, whatever. And I just see them and I'm like, oh, Kara is following someone else. I have no idea who this person is. I like could click on it to see, but I don't. And I think, and I, so to be fair, I did try to watch Squid Game. I made it maybe three quarters of the way through and then just read how it ended and asked my husband, Daniel watched the whole thing. But I have a hard time with kind of like the, the gore and the blood and, right. and that. I'm like a Grey's Anatomy perpetually don't watch anything else lame TV person. Um, <laughs> But I remember, like, not even knowing what K-pop was until when I was teaching seventh grade. It was, oh gosh, maybe back in 2016, maybe even a little earlier. I had two students, and they were massively into K-pop. So two mm. white students. Yep. Um, and they were, like, so excited to have me as a teacher and they came up and they wanted to talk about it. And they're they're 12, right? right. So totally in, innocent. And they're like asking me all these questions. And I just, <sighs> there was part of me that was so mad. I was like, these two little white girls know more about like being Korean than I do. Boom, <laughs> and there I it think is. at that point, I just like shut it all down. Yep. And I didn't want anything to do with it I was like there's here's another reason for me to feel inadequate like damn it (laughs) um yeah so I just kind of put it away and I I'll listen to Blackpink or BTS but I don't really like branch out much I've started a little because of Clara so like today when we did tummy time I went on Spotify and I typed in like Korean children's songs because I have this fear that she's gonna talk to somebody who's a non-adopted Korean at some point and they're going to say like, oh, did your mom sing you any of these childhood songs? And she's going to feel really awkward. So (laughs) I'm trying to do a little bit of Korean stuff for her in case she wants to explore that down the road. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't, this, this has been a tough one for me because um, especially I would say in like pop culture and, and pop media, I grew up like every other kid in my neighborhood listening to rock and rap music and watching the movies that every other American kid likes and cheering on the local sports teams. And that's, I still do that. And at the same time, I kind of feel like you, Sinead, where sometimes it's hard for me to branch out, but I always see things come across like Squid Game. I, I finally watched it a couple weeks ago too. So like the first weeks in November, I uh, dog sitted for a friend and they had Netflix, so I just binged it over the weekend while I dog sit it. It was great. And so I was just watching from the sidelines for like a month and a half and not knowing what the storyline was. But at the same time, 
really enjoying the exposure that I got. And I've kind of seen like, maybe just because I'm more in tune with them now, more celebration of the Asian culture, not just Korean, but even like Simu Liu was the lead for a Marvel movie recently, I think. I didn't see it. Oh, Shang-Chi, yes. I just watched yes. it. It was so, so good. good. So good. So good. Yeah. And like, I'm glad that there's leading characters now in movies that are Asian that are not just like the stereotypical sidekick or the kid that's, you know, doing computer work. <laughs> you know, right. honestly, or, you know what I mean? And the recent thing with the Sesame Street thing too, Kara, I saw that online today too. And just was so happy that that person happened to be Korean as well. So right. uh, I just, I'm really, really happy. To, and also like, I think there was like the GQ, I think they just did like the GQ um, announcements. And I feel like there's a lot of, maybe for the men, there's a lot of Asian men that are being featured. And um, I'm just I'm happy to see that Asian people in general are now more widely accepted in mainstream for roles and for accolades and it's been good i really enjoy it benny it's not k-culture related but to your point about representation and i know last season and in season one we talked a lot about kind of the asian leading man and things like henry golding and even like simu leo leo right like just their overall physique and appearance and everything and kind of how that sets a stereotype or a really high bar. Um, but Netflix, I don't know if you've watched it, Kara, came out with a new holiday movie called Love Hard. I just watched it. Yeah, it's so cute. And the romantic lead is Jimmy Yang. I love him. And he plays this Chinese American and he is a candle maker. He lives in his parents' basement. And he totally gets the girl just by being himself. And it's so cute. Yes. <laughs> Benny, is like this going to be rom-com I recommended to you that you'll actually watch? <laughs> is it on Netflix? It's on Netflix. You got to dog sit some more. I know. Always I'll just wait. Every year, Netflix is like, hey, we haven't heard from you in a while. Do you want a free <laughs> mo- one month's trial? And then I say yes. And then I just binge everything that everyone has been watching throughout in the one previous month. year in one month. <laughs> So, yes, I'll eventually get to it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's, Betty, I'm glad that you, like, it was interesting for me because, like, there is a distinction between Asian representation and Korean representation for me. And I am much more overwhelmingly proud and excited about general Asian representation Mm -hmm. than I am about Korean because the Korean representation comes with such baggage for me. Yes. And, like, Shanae, I resonate with that, like, anecdote of, you know, these two, you know, they're girls, you know, like, again, I was at the BTS concerts, like, I I didn't want to feel any mal feelings or malice towards a bunch of 12 year olds screaming over BTS when like my (laughs) old ass is in there with them, you know, like, I don't want to feel that way about them. But there is this sense of like, and I'm gonna say the word like culture gating for me, you know, like, Mm -hmm. I have these moments where I'm like, oh my God, like, am I culture gating? Am I like not allowing anyone to enjoy or like Korean culture without me getting super defensive? And then on the other side of the culture gating feelings is like the imposter syndrome that's waiting of like, do I even have rights to this gate? Do I even have the keys to this gate to be gating people from it? And like, mm-hmm. I think I remember seeing one adoptee on my Instagram feed when like the Parasite movie was winning all the awards. They were like, 
you know, I want to feel proud, but like, I can't. And mm -hmm. like, I kind of felt that in a certain way because like, you know, I loved the movie and I had been consuming Korean media for a while. So I considered myself like a K-drama fan, all these things. But when I got all these random text messages from people like, oh, a Korean film won or Parasite won. I, I remember having, again, like those kind of icky feelings of like, now why the hell are you texting me in the middle of the night to tell me that a Korean film won the whatever award? Like, why is that necessary? You know, and then it's like, I swing right back into having this bad attitude about it where it's like, it's like I'm striving to be Korean, but then when people associate me with Korean culture, I get angry because they're generalizing me. It's like, there's no pleasing mm -hmm. me. I get part of that. Um, uh, it's bad. It's bad. More in a sense for me, though, that um, I don't know how to celebrate in those accomplishments and accolades because sometimes I feel very white. I feel very American. Mm. And it's like, how how do I fit into me trying to hide or defend or um, just trying to go through the motions to make it through the workday and through getting home and relaxing and not having to think about that. And at the same time though, I, I do I do feel so proud. I feel so proud that these great people are being represented more in in, in pop culture and in mainstream media. And I think that's important, at least for me. I don't want to speak on both your behalf, but I feel like a lot of my friends and family get a lot of their North Star or their compass from what they see in the news and what they see in TV and music. Yeah. And that mm -hmm. I think for me has been um, a more objective voice besides me tooting the horns of Koreans and other Asians where they can kind of explore it on their own and celebrate together in that way. Yeah. It's like affirming in some ways. It's like this whole time I've been trying to show you how cool it is. And like, now you're finally getting it. I mean, there's definitely that for me, at least there's a little bit of that vengeful fist of like the hypocrisy of the bullies. You know, it's like, the lunchbox story, right? Everybody tells that story. Like, oh, everyone, a lot of first gens tell that story, at least. You know, I used to get made fun of for bringing kimchi in my lunch, and now kimchi's on mac and cheese and in quesadillas, and everybody thinks kimchi's so cool. Like, you know, why was that not the thing when I was around? And it, there's like a little bit of that same sentiment for me of like, yeah, I used to get made fun of, but now it's like the chic, cool thing. And where it gets touchy for me is it's, you know, we've had to explore our culture so academically through learning from third parties and, you know, constantly having to validate if it's the right way or the wrong way. Like I just recently made kimchi and I had like an emotional breakdown over it. Like there, there's all these like pressures. Right. And it's like then to see non-Korean people, you know, I want my my inclination is to say white people, but it's everybody now to see non-Korean people take on learning Korean culture as like a hobby it feels insulting. You know, it's like, oh, this is so fun and light for you because you love BTS or you want to watch your K-dramas and like not have to read the subtitles. Like it's so easy and fun for you guys. But like for me, it's something I've struggled with my entire life and it's this huge mountain and it's this big like can of worms every time I open it. And it makes me almost like envy them in a weird way because it's like they get to approach it with like such innocence and like such open mind where it's mm -hmm. like when we do it it's tied it's like a booby trap you're like you're just mm -hmm. you're just waiting to step into like the next emotional breakdown that's waiting for you and especially for the language thing like language is probably my biggest insecurity as a cad and like seeing that there's all these like 
Korean lessons and all these non-Koreans learning Korean because it's the cool thing, like it irks me. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to figure out how to get back into that more joyful, like happy place about it. Like you are Benny, because you're right. Like even as you're sharing, like I am proud of those things and it does make me happy. And I'm trying to focus on that rather than this like sense of entitlement that I have like in my head over it. You guys brought me on the show to like lift it up. And I'm like the downer. <laughs> no, you're a hundred percent right though. I think like what you just said is exactly how I feel like the It's almost like, you feel like they're mocking you or like trivial yes. trivializing your your trauma or your pain. And even the language piece, like as you were saying that, you know, we watched Squid Game in Korean with English subtitles. And mm-hmm. I wonder if I would have stuck with it a little bit more if we just watched it with the English dub. Mm-hmm. But then I feel like I would have felt guilty for watching it with the English dub. Um, right. And I don't know. Yeah. But like, It's interesting too, and I'm curious, maybe this is just my weird brain, but like in my mind, there's a difference between K-drama and a movie like Parasite or Squid Game. Like the few K-dramas that I've seen have been kind of like light and fluffy and Boy Meets Girl or, you know, like a spinoff of Designated Survivor, Grey's Anatomy, whatever on Netflix. Mm. But I have a really hard time seeing, particularly with Parasite and Squid Game, the characters who are of like a lower class or who represent the impoverished or lower working class in Korea. And I think part of it is because the narrative that I've always been told about my birth family is they were really poor and they really struggled and that that's why you were giving given up for adoption right. and like you know in squid game i don't remember the characters names but there's the woman who is like kind of involved with that one gang member but not and she like has a breakdown and is like begging and pleading and i had to turn it off i could yeah. not handle because in my mind i was like is this what my mother is like like right. It was way too close to home and I had to like shut it down. I mean, that's yeah. a perfect illustration of like, yeah, it's everybody else having a great time watching this video or watching the series. And like, there's somebody who's not having a great time watching it. <laughs> right. you know, I was like, like, this isn't fun anymore. <laughs> yeah. And I, I saw another cat that had shared that they, they didn't want to watch Squid Games because they didn't want to continue the support of watching the violence against Asian bodies. Mm. And they found it very disturbing that the only time, because Korean dramas and and K-pop and all this shit that's been around forever. This ain't new. Like that's another thing that's kind of frustrating. It's like people like, Oh, Korean drama, squid game. So cool. It's like, no bro, this has been going on like for a long time now. Like you're just late to the game, but it's like, they made the point of, it's very ironic that during the rise of Asian hate, the popular things that get popular in America around Asian culture is all the things that depict violence and death against our bodies. And I'm not yeah. going to lie. Like I sat with that for a couple of days. Yeah. Hearing yeah. you say that, I'm like, oh, damn. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it's not, again, downer. Here I am. Debbie Downer here. <laughs> it, it's It definitely like made me pause and think. I was like, yeah, like that is... So true. It's that conditional thing again. It's like we're going to pick and choose the parts of the culture that we like and 
it's the sunny K-pop idol people or it's this like violent, gory thing. And there's not, it doesn't feel like there's space for anything that exists like in between that. Right. Yeah. And even with K-pop, like aside from the sunniness, mm-hmm. like the fetishization of women yep. and the physical appearance that so many of, I mean, the female and male K-pop stars go through and the pressure and just sort of the unrealistic expectations. See, I'm glad that we were, were having, you know, it's good to have three people on because my perspective was um, a little bit different, but I'm so glad that these conversations I have because it, it does, that all does make sense. For me, let's go back to like Squid Game. I, I definitely considered watching it in English dubbed, but mm. I definitely felt guilt of like, this is who I am. Like, I, I I feel so proud now of who I am. Like, I want to listen to it in Korean. I used to hate what Korean language sounded like. I never wanted yeah. to associate with it. And now after, you know, watching how many episodes it was, I feel like I'm in love with the language. I, I feel so good about that. And to the point of, like, Squid Game and Parasite, I, I totally didn't realize and think about, like, the, the association with fetishization and violence. And that's that's so true. I, I have this perspective of when we as Koreans make it to the table and have a, a seat at the table, I'm I'm thankful that those people can re- be represented. So it's not just everyone in K-pop or it's not everyone that has these unrealistic beauty standards or who come from a wealthy family. Because I think that swings the pendulum a little bit too far the other way too, where there's this expectation that everyone looks like that or everyone comes from this. Right. And I was thankful to have a especially in Parasite, a a representation of a lower class, lower working class, or someone who struggling day to day. But Shanae and Carrie, you brought up good points too, just that the trauma of, (laughs) you know, what our birth parents and family could have gone through as well. It's like invasive, you know, it's like you don't always get to choose when it happens, which can make it frustrating, you know, and that isn't just the recent wave of Korean culture. It's just, you know, in everything, no matter what you're doing, it's like, Oh, today, like that bothers me. And like, it wasn't bothering me yesterday. And it, it like adds to the like mental gymnastics that I think, you know, adoptees have to do at all times of like trying to step around landmines while trying to like live a certain life and all these things. So it just, it's like before, if it was more consensual and like on our on our terms because it wasn't so popular, it's like now you can't escape it. It's like now I can't even go into the grocery store, which is a good thing, right? Like, it's cool that I can go into my local grocery store and I see like Shin Ramen. Like that used to not be there. Like there, there's things that certainly feel good, but there's this weird kind of feeling of invasiveness too, of like now it's not on a hundred percent on my terms and it could pop up at any time. And I'm just kind of waiting to like, just waiting to get triggered. I'm just waiting for somebody to say something. And the only other thing I will say before I'm done being the Debbie Downer is <laughs> I hate the field trips to H Mart. Like when I'm trying to go to H Mart and get my damn groceries and there's like a group of the K-pop stands and I, don't I don't even want to be mad at the K. I'm not mad at the K-pop stands. I'm not mad at y'all. Like, go do your thing. <laughs> but when there's a group of y'all in there at my damn grocery store, when I'm just trying to be a normal person, and you want to be Snapchatting everything and making faces and like pointing at the fish tanks, I'm like, get out of my way. Like, get out of my way. Like, that's when like the worst part of me comes out, where I'm just like, y'all need like special hours or something because like I'm trying to be here <laughs> in the shop. 
and this is like some cultural excursion for you. And like, I don't want to be a part of that. Okay. I'm yeah. done with the negative. I'm done. Other than that, other than everything I said, I like it. That'll be my final <laughs> answer. No going back. I- I can resound with that too. Just the, the double-edged sword of the, the yes. more exposure and celebration of Korean culture comes. Not responsibility, because I don't think we have responsibility to hold up the Korean culture, but... God, I hope the, not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, weight that come, the weight that comes with that. And uh, I don't know, for me, I'm excited to see um, the, the trends moving forward. And I hope that it brings more visibility to not only the Korean culture, but the Korean adoptee culture and all Asian culture, whether it's East Asian or any anywhere in the world of Asian culture. I hope that continue to push it forward. I don't know. I don't know. Or the culture. 100%. <laughs> I love just riffing with y'all. And for our guests, we decided to just kind of uh, use this as a time to get back in the swing of things. The next episodes will be a little more structured. Can't wait to talk about our next topic of our whiteness and how that sticks with us. We're always looking for feedback and engagement from all of our listeners. So if you have any stories you want to have us talk about or ask us a question, put us in the hot seat, those type of things, we might do some giveaways for our listeners and our fans. We really hope that you can stay tuned. And I'm excited. I don't know about both of you. I'm super excited. excited. You're going to see us a lot more on Instagram. We'll be popping in in between episodes and doing some lives, checking in with everybody, doing some fun things. So it'll be really great. I'm excited to be a part of the ride, guys. Thanks for having me again. And I I just I have no idea what this is going to end up, just like I'm sure you all (laughs) felt in the very beginning of your journey. So I just I truly feel honored for you guys inviting me on for the show and Really excited to connect with the listeners out there and and see what conversations and what topics come up and what resonates with you all. Absolutely. We're excited to have you on. Well, thanks everyone for listening. We can't wait to have you be part of our episode and hope to see you all on our next episode.